that regular rhythm and cadence of that communication with employees and commitment by our chief operating officer and our chief of staff to hold those meetings no matter what really made a difference in um, offering up transparency and credibility to our employees who were worried about their jobs and their customers. I'm Steven Spears, and this is the future, the future, the future of customer engagement and experience podcast. Thanks for joining me. As always, we're brought to you by thefutureofcommerce.com, where you can find our entire section of information dedicated to leadership, data, and current news around COVID-19. Communication task that seems like a simple thing to do. Exchanging information, we do it all day, but in reality, it's a tough task. Whether it's verbal, nonverbal, written or visual, we're always looking at better ways to be communicators and ways to better communicate. Just do a quick Google search and you'll find top 10 books on how to improve effective communication, top 28 books on communication skills to read in 2020. There's an article for more books than you could ever read on communication. In the workplace, 57% of employees report not being given clear directions, and 69% of managers are not comfortable communicating with the employees in general. That's according to an Interact study. Now, with that in mind, imagine adding in a business crisis that's grabbing your attention in 20 other areas while employees are looking for direction and real insight. Communication becomes even more important. But how do we do it? Stephanie Toom joins me to share her personal experience of effective communication as we continue our series on leadership during uncertainty. Now, Stephanie was leading CX during a time of crisis for a government agency during a high-profile targeted political shutdown that involved a six-month stoppage of service to customers. She's currently the founding principal at Practical CX and actually provided the inspiration for the series. So thanks, Stephanie. Uh, now, I did want to start back at how you got into CX in general. Well, I was doing customer experience work before we were calling it customer experience work. Mm. I was at Ernst & Young. Um, I started there actually back in 2000. And during the course of my about nine years at Ernst & Young, the firm opened up a new program where they would send some up-and-coming executives from the firm to go and interview clients one-on-one mm. to find out what was going well, what could be better, what was the communication like? Where you know, stop them essentially about their experience. And mm. so from that, you were able to glean business development ideas and ideas as to where their experience is needed to improve. Everything from could they get someone on the phone to could they find a place to park when they came to see their advisors? Um, and were they getting the right people working on their accounts? So from there, it really grew for me. And I joined the federal government. And I knew at that time, you know, what the reputation was for for applying to a job at the federal government. And it was <laughs> for the vice president of customer experience, the Export-Import Bank of the United States, which is an agency that finances and ensures exports toward the creation of U.S. jobs. And it was a new role. And it had my name written all over it. And my (laughs) husband said, you know, if not you, then who? Because I had the experience that they were looking for. It was at a time when customer experience was kind of up and coming and the skill sets weren't as developed yet. So I threw my hat in the ring and long story short, got the job. And that is when um, I started building some things out for the XM Bank. During my time at XM Bank, the, the bank 
had a charter to operate from from Congress, and Congress mm. did not renew that charter. And when that charter was not renewed, that meant that there was a complete stoppage of service to customers. So enter in my experience in crisis <laughs> mode <Yeah, laughs> in yeah. the government space working with customers. That's interesting. So you mentioned uh, the, the charter was not renewed. Is that basically right. like a contract essentially? I guess that might be a good way to look at it from a private sector perspective. Congress authorized authorizes certain government agencies and Exim Bank is one of those agencies. And when that charter is not reauthorized, that means you've either got a sunset or you've got to figure out what comes next. But in, in any in any case, you're not able to provide the same level of service. And in our instance, it was no service really to customers. Mm-hmm. So imagine being um, a United States small business and you have export exports that need to go out the doors and you've got foreign buyers who are looking to um, to receive those goods, but you need export credit insurance to make sure you're going to get paid. Mm-hmm. You're waiting to send out your order until you can get an answer from Exim Bank as to whether or not that shipment is going to be covered and you can't get an answer. What do you do? Um, the bank is, is not allowed to authorize any kind of, of new um, export credit insurance. They're not allowed to, do, to really even talk to you to advance your application at, at all. Wow. Not so even like contact at all. Right, right. Wow. So um, what is the, you know, so the, the experience for our customers and our intermediaries was essentially no service. Yeah. So we had to find ways to focus on what we could do. Mm-hmm. And that entailed communicating to the best of our ability through FAQ pages with our customers through FAQ pages, telephone conversations where we could have that um, conversation were allowed by law to have those conversations. Mm-hmm. And, and, we, and we did find ways to do that to cultivate that qualitative data from our customers that we could then relay back to our congressional stakeholders, to our our. our the folks on on the Hill who needed to understand what was the impact of Exim Bank closing to their constituents. And that was what we did with some of that qualitative data. But some of the things that came out of that time of crisis that I really reflect on had just as much to do with what happened among the rest of the leadership team and the roles that that we all played, including Mm -hmm. our chief of staff and our chief operating officer. This really stands out for me. Every week on Wednesdays at noon, I think it was, they held a town hall meeting. Every week for, I think it was about five and a half months, where, um, where our employees gather to ask questions, get the latest information, and that regular rhythm and cadence of that communication with employees, and remote employees were allowed to access and could access it via webinar, you know, mm-hmm. they could access it live. Um, that regular rhythm and cadence and that commitment by our chief operating officer and our chief of staff to hold those meetings no matter what really made a difference in um, offering up transparency and credibility to our employees who were worried about their jobs and their customers. So there was so much to be learned and so much to be gleaned. And that crisis situation, of course, is way different from other agencies and other organizations that have experienced crises in the past. But mm-hmm. um, those, those were some of the, the things that I lived through in my time. Yeah. So that really that transparency, you think, kind of helped everybody continue to have a motivation even would would be a way to look at it. Yes, absolutely. You know, government um, in general has a problem with trust. And 
a lot of uh, a lot of uh, you'll see social media firestorms mm-hmm. on a regular cadence <laughs> of uh, folks that, that don't feel like government's being transparent and not being trustworthy, and so that hits in the employee vein too. Um, and so I think that it was really important, and that was one of the best things that the the leadership of the bank did at that time. It wasn't in my lane; it was in the lane of the chief operating officer and the chief of staff to hold those meetings because they were looked up to in the organization as being gatekeepers of information. And no matter what, these guys were having these meetings every Wednesday. And even if they had nothing new to share, Mm. they were re-articulating past messages, which that's really important too. So employees knew nothing had changed and it gave employees an opportunity to ask new questions. Mm -hmm. So those things were really, really important to, um, to our employees. And eventually, you know, that ripples out to customers because what employees feel customers feel. And we wanted to, you know, make sure we were doing everything we could. You really got to focus on what you can do mm-hmm. in those times. So how long did that go on for until uh, was the, was the charter renewed? Yes. Um, oh. about, it took about five and a half months. Wow. Yes. Um, but it was a, it was a continuous process throughout mm-hmm. as we were cultivating, like I mentioned a moment ago, cultivating uh, through phone calls with customers that qualitative data to take back to our stakeholders on Capitol Hill to let them understand because they were in control of that charter. Here's what's mm-hmm. happening in your jurisdiction and your, among your constituents with respect to Exim Bank. We had to help them um, understand with the qualitative customer data that we were able to bring back to them. And it took about five and a half months. And we did continue for a little while after that was over to hold those regular meetings because mm-hmm. the dust had to settle. There yeah. were still questions about, okay, how are we going to get restarted after all of this? So yeah. really hats off to the, the chief of staff, the chairman, and the chief operating officer at that time. He just did a bang up job, as did the entire senior leadership team and the management team and all the employees are really sticking to, together during that time. Yeah, you, you jumped right to what my follow-up question was, was the tactics that were implemented while the you know uncertainty and crisis was going on, if those translated into running the business better once that passed? Well, actually, yes, um, because we had to focus with when it was pencils down with customers, um, we had to focus on other things that we could do within the bank. And mm-hmm. we took took the time to, you know, build education, to streamline processes, um, to really examine the things that we were doing from a process and application perspective within the bank and got some of those things in better working order so that we were able to come back in a better fashion than we may have been operating previously. Yeah. Um, it gave us a chance. You know, we had to focus on the things that we could do. Yeah, no, I, I'm picturing in, in my mind, I'm the, the leader of customer experience and all of a sudden I can't, you know, interact with customers really. I, I'm picturing like the room on fire for me. So I, <laughs> so, I can't imagine. Well, for, me, I, for me, in the role that I played, I was one of the few people within the bank that was allowed to talk to customers. So mm-hmm. that was me on the phone with the deputy chief of staff and a couple of other people from within the bank who were on the phone pretty much all day, every day for five and a half months with our end user customers and with our intermediaries to, to make sure we were understanding how this experience was unfolding in their businesses. Mm, interesting. So from doing it that way during the, the, the shutdown or the, the non-charter area, were you able to, you know, use FAQs or those tactics going yes. forward to, to cultivate a better customer experience kind of out of the woods? Yes. Uh, yes. And there, you know, this is a, a threat that actually has happened again since I left the bank. Mm. This has happened multiple times for the bank 
before I came or may have happened once before I came, but it has happened since I left the bank. So there is an operating manual that has some of these tactics outlined. And so they're there to be used again. Wow. So you, you were one of the founding fathers, like creating a constitution. In oh, a I don't, no, 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 no. I would never <laughs> hold myself up to that, um, that level of, of, of glamour or, you know, success. Uh. <laughs> a team, it really did take a team and we were all in it together with our intermediaries. And, you know, our customers in some instances were very, you know, were locked elbow and elbow with us to just, you know, say things like, okay, we know that, this is what's going on and we're all doing our best and we're not mad at you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's, there was probably someone that was thinking, man, I, I didn't think that email I sent Stephanie was that strongly worded. Right. But now, she, now she's not saying anything to me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. Oh, but you know, man. a lot of lessons learned. There are always lessons to be learned and uh, yeah, we learned them. And, you know, since leaving the bank, they've experienced some of the same some of the same issues. So yeah, it's just one of those things that never, you're, you're always going to be faced with it and you have to be ready. You have to plan. Thanks for joining us, Stephanie. Once again, that's Stephanie Toom, founding principal at Practical CX. You can find the article she wrote for the future of commerce.com at the website. Just head down the right side of the page, find the banner around coronavirus and business and follow the link there to read through her insight as well as a bunch of other leaders that she's familiar with and their insights on managing during times of crisis. And of course, stay tuned to hear those stories in a more expanded format with more insight as we continue the series on leadership during uncertainty. As always, we're presented by the future of customer engagement and experience. And be sure to head there where we have our entire section dedicated to information on leadership, data, and current news around COVID-19. Until next time, I'm Steven Spears, and this is the Future of Customer Engagement and Experience podcast. See you next time.